three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 424. Welcome in. Got a lot to talk about today. First of all, let me say this. Gardner Minshew, baby, let's go. I'm so excited. So obviously, that's the number one story today. Uh, there's a lot to unpack from NFL Week 13. Was that cringy? I don't think it was. I'm genuinely, like, really, really excited about my man Gardner Minshew. Um, I was going to put that into the noteworthy segment for NFL Week 13. I'm like, you know what? I should make a standalone topic about that. Let's celebrate Gardner Minshew for a moment. So let's jump into that first to start the show. There's a lot, by the way, that happened. The Lions won. There's all kinds of stuff. By the way, Jared Goff. Did you see what happened? I saw what happened. That was amazing. But let's start with story number one. Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts did not play on Sunday against the Jets because of an ankle injury, which elevated Gardner Minshew to becoming the starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. And the Eagles beat the Jets 33-18. Gardner Minshew was 20 for 25 passing. He had 242 yards and two touchdowns. By the way, Three of his incomplete passes. He had five incompletions on the day. Three of them were throwaways, which means that they were good throws where he said, nothing's open. I'm going to throw the ball out of bounds or in the dirt to make sure I don't have a negative play. Dude, the guy made great decisions all game long. Over and over and over and over and over again. All he did was send the ball to the right location. His two best throws, he had a nice touchdown pass to Dallas Goddard for 36 yards. Uh, off of play action was beautiful. By the way, uh, shout out to Miles Sanders. He ran for like 100-something yards on 24 carries. It wasn't Gardner Minshew alone that won this game for the Eagles. Uh, but Gardner did have a big throw on third and nine where he extended a play, found Quez Watkins for a first down. And like decision-making is the key here, right? Gardner just sent the ball to the right spot over and over and over again. And uh, I'm just going to enjoy this moment. I'm going to enjoy what just happened on Sunday. Gardner Minshew. Um, I love it, man. I love to see that guy do well. I went to college with him, uh, met him once, took his hand. I got not a lot, but I, uh, I love the guy. I've seen firsthand what kind of leader he is, how he operates, his work ethic. And uh, the Eagles scored on every drive in the first half of this game. And then the only drive they didn't score was on their final drive. They punted after seven plays. Uh, and to say they scored, so they scored on seven of their eight drives, seven in a row. Bam, bam, bam. Three touchdowns, a bunch of field goals. It's a bit misleading to say they scored on every drive. Like they had, they had one drive where on a fourth and four, it looked like their center had a false start. They didn't get called. CJ Mosley got called for encroachment. It's it's close. Like they, they definitely got helped by that call on fourth and four, which extended that drive in the second half. Um, but the thing I want to say here, watching Gardner Minshew make great decision after great decision, Good pass after good pass. Running play action very well. Uh, I, I'm like, why did nobody else make a move to trade for Gardner Minshew? Everybody knew Gardner was available. Like, you can say, oh, like the Jaguars weren't sure, blah, blah, blah. No, come on. Look, the Jaguars drafted Trevor Lawrence. We all knew at some point they were going to make him their starting quarterback and Gardner would become available. So, hey, Denver. Pittsburgh, the Steelers need a quarterback next year, and maybe they're going to draft Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh. I would love to see that. New Orleans, all, all I'm saying is why didn't Denver at least make a move so they could have Gardner Minshew compete with Teddy Bridgewater? 
Did they forget? I remember. Was it two years ago? Was it a year ago? I don't remember exactly when it happened. But I remember Gardner Mitchell beating the Broncos with a fourth quarter comeback, galvanizing his team against Joe Flacco. So it would have been two years ago. He's a great leader. He galvanizes his teammates. He All he does, Gardner Minshew, makes the most of every single opportunity that's been afforded him. In college, he almost went to Alabama to be Jalen Hurts' backup. He was going to be behind Tua and Jalen Hurts. And he said, hey, uh, Mike Leach called me, said, hey, you want to come play at Washington State? He said, sure, I'll do it. And killed it at Washington State. Goes to the NFL. Late round pick. Nobody wants him. Goes to Jacksonville. Kills it at Jacksonville for like a two-year period. Gardner Minshew was the only quarterback who won a game in Jacksonville. Here, every opp- he gets an opportunity, and he does the very best he possibly can with it. I don't know what more you want from Gardner Minshew. Like, why do people not embrace him? It's getting tragic. Like, what more does a guy need to do for people to finally realize, oh, this guy can play? Does he have a massive arm? No. But does he make great decisions? Is he a good leader? Does he work incredibly hard? All that stuff is true. Who? Why do people not want him? I, you, you would rather have Tre- Teddy Bridgewater, uh, oh, or, or Mason Rudolph next year. Apparently, okay, yeah. Uh, I, I just don't get it. Like the Saints would rather have Taysom Hill, be horrible, than God forbid they give up a, a third round pick for Gardner Minshew. I don't know, man. I, I just do not. I will never understand why the NFL doesn't recognize what Gardner does. And I get it. He doesn't have a huge arm. And that's, people just can't, they don't, they don't, they don't look past his physical limitations, but I would like to have a quarterback who makes great decisions every play. That sounds amazing. This is the best game an Eagles quarterback has had in a few years between Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts. Gardner killed it. And I, I, I loved watching Gardner celebrate with his dad after the game. I, I get, I understand. I'm self-aware. I realize I sound like a Gardner Minshew fanboy, and I am a little bit. I, I met him. I love him. Um, I, I think it's sad when a guy clearly can play and doesn't get recognized. Here's all I'm asking. All I want is somebody to give Gardner Minshew a chance. I'm not saying you build your franchise around him. I'm not saying to give him a massive contract. Nothing like that. But bring him in to compete is all I'm asking because I, I, I believe in Gardner. And, and nobody believes in Gardner more than himself. If you give Gardner Minshew a chance... I believe he will take the most and make the most of that opportunity. Like, what are the Browns doing? Baker's been horrible. You're telling me Gardner Minshew can't play better than Baker Mayfield? He definitely, most certainly can. And I, I will, I will never, ever understand just why. Why, why are people not embracing this guy and giving him an opportunity? That's all I want. Give the guy a chance. Um... Like, yeah, yeah, I like the guy. I, I went to the same college as him. I think he's awesome. But I'm not I'm not just saying that because I'm a fanboy and I like him. Like, I like Tua, but Tua has shortcomings. I acknowledge him. Like, I'm very honest about quarterbacks. When they're not per- – I, I acknowledge everyone's imperfections. But Gardner Minshew legit can play. Like, I, what else do you want the guy to do? I feel like I'm rambling now, but I, uh, I guess the only question left is what's next for Gardner Minshew? Is he going to – like, do the Eagles commit to him and make him their starting quarterback next week? Do they – maybe they keep him? Like, it seems like Philly isn't sure about Jalen Hurts. And uh, what's wrong with giving Gardner a shot? <laughs> he's cheap. He's on a rookie. He's like, I, I don't know why – the other thing about Gardner Minshew, again, he's you pay him like nothing. You pay Gardner nothing. You build a great team around him. How many times have we seen teams like that go to or win a Super Bowl? And I see a fly. I, 
there's a fly in the room. I did the best I could. It's, it's like flying in front of the camera. I apologize if that bothered you just now. Um, but I, I just, I don't know what's next for Gardner Minshew. I don't know if they are going to keep him in Philly. I don't know if they're going to build around him. I don't know if someone's going to trade for him. But all I am asking, somebody please give Gardner Minshew an opportunity. Because all he's done since his senior year in college, Washington State, Jacksonville, everywhere he goes, he makes the best of every, every opportunity he's given. And for some reason, people don't want to give him an opportunity. Hey, Pittsburgh, I'm begging you. Cleveland, you got a quarterback problem. I like Baker. Gardner's better. Gardner makes better decisions than Baker Mayfield. Baker's got a stronger arm. What do you do? Does that matter when he throws five interceptions? Like, no, it doesn't. Teddy Bridgewater, I, I, nothing against Teddy. Has Teddy been great in Denver? You're telling me you can't give the guy an opportunity to compete? That's all I'm asking. All I'm, all I'm asking from the NFL is someone please give Gardner Minshew an opportunity to compete for a job somewhere. Because if you do that, I think you'll see a lot more of what we saw on Sunday against the Jets where he looked fantastic. Does he have a huge arm? No. But he puts the ball in the right spot. And that's basically all you really can ask for from your quarterback is can they make good decisions and do the best that they can with what they have. And uh, I, I just hate seeing a guy who clearly can play not getting recognition for what he can do on the football field. All right, uh, give me a second. You can't hear it. My cat is uh, screaming. He wants out. So give me one second. I'm going to cut, and then we'll jump into NFL Week 13 Noteworthy. I'm going to see if I can try to get that, fan, that fly out of here. There's a fly in the room. I think it flew in front of the camera. <laughs> uh, yeah, give me, give me one second. There. Oh! I don't think I got it. I, I it was right there. It literally landed on my piece of paper. I didn't get it, though. All right, give me one second. I'm going to cut. I'll be right back. All right, we are back. Uh, before we jump into Noteworthy 7, there is something else I want to say, and I wanna, I've got a hot hand. I want to talk about the, the thing that's fresh in my mind right now. Uh, but I also, I want to let you know, it's torrentially downpouring outside. I, I have never in my 24 years on planet Earth seen it rain harder than it is right now. And it's been raining here in Honolulu for uh, now two days in a row. Like, and, and not like on and off. Like I lived in Portland most of my life and my childhood. And it would rain like all day, but it was like drizzling. This is just like... Ah, like full, just every, like the, the sky is giving us everything it has. I, I, we're, it's supposed to rain like 15 inches in one day, which in, in the desert in New Mexico gets like seven inches of rain an entire year. So we're like twice as much as it rains in the desert in an entire year in one day. So it's um, like, I got a lot of messages. I want to, and, and a lot of people have sent me stuff and I love you guys. I appreciate the concern. People have been like, well, it's uh, I hear it's going to snow in Hawaii. Yes, it is going to snow in Hawaii, but it's going to snow on top of the mountains, not, um, actually where I am, it's just going to rain like crazy. But I mean, I totally can see how there's a blizzard warning on the top of the mountains because it is, uh, I, I again, I've never seen rain harder in my entire life. I don't think it's going to like, I'm going to lose power or anything like that, but it's flooding outside. I mean, I, I moved my car to a parking garage to park it just at target. Literally I parked at target so I could get it up higher off the ground level because, Oh my gosh, I've never, uh, water's pooling up, you can't walk anywhere, I had to walk through, I put on my Instagram story a video of me like walking through basically a lake on my street, I'm like, well, alright, so I want to say that, now, number two, again, I was going to start immediately by talking about Noteworthy 7 uh, for NFL Week 13, but I I saw news, but I, you know, I took a break for a second, and I saw some news that I want to talk about, and I've been following this story a lot, 
And I'm going to just go with what is is I'm excited to talk about first because this is really um, I don't know, fresh in my mind or hot hand or something like that, but it's what I'm feeling right now. So Mario Cristobal is leaving Oregon. He used to be the head coach at Oregon. Now he's heading to Miami to be the new head coach of the Miami Hurricanes. And uh, man, I so apparently Oregon gave Mario Cristobal a 10-year, $85 million contract offer. And then they backed off and pulled their offer when they found out that he was entertaining conversations with Miami and listening to conversations. And you got to realize, Mario Cristobal went to Miami. He played on the offensive line there. So I I don't... But basically, I I, I have not tried to hide my... um, I don't know if disdain is the right word. To me, Oregon as a program and as a fan base is often delusional. Their fans always think they're way better than they are. Hey, they're not an SEC level program at all. And Oregon here, again, they come across delusional in that if I were Oregon, I pay whatever I can to keep Mario Cristobal. I cannot believe that they would pull an offer. And they they come across as petty and small. By not like here. So optically, this is really, really bad. And the reason why optics matter is because 18 year old kids are trying to recruit to your football program are reading the news. And they find out, huh, they didn't even give Mario Cristobal a big offer. And, and also, um, and this, uh, so I would love an $85 million contract offer. Like, absolutely. I, I'll take, I'll quit. My whole life, <laughs> if you offer me $85 million, I'm, I'm there in a heartbeat. You pay me that, that that's like, what, eight eight point five million million a year? Pay me that for one year. I'm good. I'm like, I disappear in the woods. You'd never see me again. I'd probably still make sports content. I'd just upload it really, really slow and be, like, days late. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing. If you want to make a splash in college football, what what does a top coach go for? They're getting paid $100 million. If you, right, wrong, or indifferent, and maybe you don't believe Mario Cristobal is worth $100 million, and that, that's fine. But the narrative that Oregon would have wanted out there is, hey, we offered Mario Cristobal $100 million, and he didn't want it. Because then you, you send a message to the college football world, hey, we are trying to win. We want a national title. Instead, Mario Cristobal has left. And great for him, by the way. I think I think Miami's a program on the rise. Like, would you rather... Basically, Mario Cristobal asked himself, would I rather compete with Lincoln Riley and USC or Clemson and Dabo Sweeney? And Dabo Sweeney, by the way, lost Brent Venables, his defensive coordinator. And I think Florida is up for grabs. Like, Florida State is bad. University of Florida, the Gators are bad. They're both down. Miami could make a splash, dominate recruiting, and win a lot. And I think there's a lot of potential there at Miami, you're playing against Louisville and Duke and North Carolina State in the ACC. Like, absolutely, hallelujah, go there. Go to the ACC, dominate. Good for Mario Cristobal. He's getting the bag, getting paid a ton of money. My focus is on Oregon. I cannot believe they are allowing their narrative to be that not only could they not keep Mario Cristobal, but they didn't even give him a top offer. Are you insane? You don't want that narrative out there. That you're, you sound cheap. 
You're not willing. So what I'm hearing is Oregon isn't actually serious about winning a national title. Because if you, if instead of the narrative being they pulled an $85 million offer from Mario Cristobal, if the narrative instead was, hey, Mario Cristobal turned down $100 million and still went to Miami. Or maybe if you actually offered him 10 years, $100 million, he might have stayed, by the way. Wait, crazy concept when you pay a guy a ton of money. I bet he felt disrespected. Oh, you That's not a serious offer. You don't view me as a top coach in college football. Now, again, I'm, I'm self-aware. I know you're like, hey, $85 million, Zach, is a lot of money. I hear you. But not for a premier coach in college football. And Oregon showed that either they're afraid of getting rejected. Like they were afraid. Like they're like, how dare you even listen to an offer from Miami? Which, by the way, that's where he's from. That's where he played. Like, I don't think it's wrong for Mario Cristobal to at least listen to an offer from his former college. <laughs> like, I, I, it's not wrong to me. But B, Oregon is in danger of becoming irrelevant. And they don't realize it. Oregon has no idea. They think they're fine. Oh, Mario Cristobal left. We'll replace him. For some reason, Oregon did not appear to value Mario Cristobal. And maybe they're angry. They lost to Utah twice badly at the end of the year. That's fine. But go ahead and you know hire someone that is regional and fun and that the local media loves. I think, I think they're going after Wilcox, the guy at Cal. I like, I like the coach at Cal. But you're taking a step backward. And, and Oregon right now, by not being willing to offer $100 million, in fact, by pulling their offer, and now losing Mario Cristobal to Miami, Oregon has become a stepping stone program. What just happened with Mario Cristobal cemented Oregon as a stepping stone program where, like, I think they should go after Brian Harson, the Auburn head coach. I would, I would pay Brian Harson $100 million to be my head coach. Does he deserve that? I don't know, but you want to be a player. Like, if Oregon actually wants to win a national title, they'll do that. I, I saw that Mario Cristobal was leaving Oregon, and I immediately thought, wow, Lincoln Riley at USC is in great shape. Lincoln Riley went from Oklahoma, who's about to join the SEC, coaching against Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher, uh, who are the, uh, I'm sorry, Lane Kiffin, Mike Leach. Uh, Brian Kelly, the coach at uh, Arkansas is really good. Like Great coaches, great recruits in the SEC. Instead, now, Lincoln Riley's at USC, where there's, like, Utah has Kyle Whittingham, who is still in Utah. He's, they're not going to get top recruits in Utah. Coaching against, who's the, the, the guy at Oregon State? Who's solid, but, like, come on, come on! Lincoln Riley's going to dominate the Pac-12. And, and Oregon appears to have been unwilling to pay what it required to keep Mario Cristobal. They did not give Mario Cristobal an offer he could not refuse. And to me, that tells us, huh, apparently Oregon is not serious about winning a national title. And that's a massive problem. Uh, the best hope for Oregon was to give Mario Cristobal a massive contract and try to woo him and keep him. And Oregon did not do that. And I got, I grew up in the Northwest. I grew up in the Portland area. Uh, I don't, I don't love Portland. I like, if you're, if you're not from Portland and you hear that I'm, I grew up in Portland and you're mad at me, just remember, I didn't choose where I grew up. I was, I, I grew, I, my parents chose that and I chose to leave Oregon. I chose to leave Portland. 
Uh, beautiful countryside, though. Oh, my gosh. It's the city, not what I love. Uh, but all my friends are in Oregon, and I love them, but they're so delusional when they talk about their football program. I have the luxury of looking at the entire college football landscape. I watch way more than one game a week. A lot of my friends at Oregon, they watch just the Oregon game every week. I watch every game. I watch all the SEC games. I watch mostly SEC-level football. Uh, can I tell you what? Oregon is nowhere near the SEC, and they, they have no idea. They, they, they think they're high and mighty. They think they're all that. Okay, well, now you lost your top head coach, a guy who was fantastic. Good luck. Let's see how you do now. I, I think that the minute Mario Cristobal beat Ohio State, he showed what he's capable of. He beat Ohio State with a basically a quarterback who, God forbid, really should not have been the Oregon starting quarterback. What Mario Cristobal did at Oregon was amazing. And Oregon did not appear to appreciate him. They were mad. I think maybe mad about the Utah losses, which is fine. But um, I, I'm very, very concerned. I'm rambling now, but I'm, I'm very concerned about the future of the Oregon football program. You got, and I've never said this word out loud, clout. <laughs> you got a clout chase if you're Oregon. You need the narrative to be in your favor that Oregon is going for a national title. They'll pay a ton of money because you want five-star recruits to go there. Now you're probably not going to get five-star recruits to go to Eugene, Oregon. And I am, I'm telling you, Oregon is in critical danger of becoming irrelevant. They have no idea, but they just lost Mario Cristobal. They didn't give him the massive offer he probably should have gotten. And... Now the optics are Oregon's cheap, petty, doesn't want to pay a top dollar for a coach, and they're going to hire a local guy that, ooh, the, the local media likes, but it's not going to help them nationally. Who cares if you dominate recruiting in Oregon? You want to dominate recruiting in California, Texas, Ohio, Florida. And I know Ohio is not a commonly Ohio's a better football state than people realize I want to just I, I like throwing Ohio in when I can but I I am very very nervous about the future of Oregon football and again I want to say one more time well done Mario Cristobal man like think about it he's going to be competing against Louisville Duke NC State Mario Cristobal Miami is in great shape and my, th that Miami program has so much potential like I it's easy to recruit at Miami. A lot easier than it is to recruit at Eugene, Oregon. And he's, he, he went to school there. He knows the layout there. And again, Mario Cristobal had to decide, do I want to coach against Lincoln Riley or Dallas Sweeney? And I, I think, honestly, I would rather I would rather go against the ACC. I think, <laughs> And you're in the South now? I think Mario Cristobal is going to be a home run at Miami. And he's leaving Oregon in the dust. And Oregon, good luck without him. All right, now let's do the NFL uh, Noteworthy 7. We just had NFL Week 13. I already talked about Gardner Minshew, but there are seven more things I find noteworthy from NFL Week 13. Number one is this. The Lions finally won a game. I'm so happy. Like, hallelujah. Great for Detroit. You know, Michigan won the Big Ten in the same weekend that the Lions won their first game of the year. It's a great weekend to be a Michigan sports fan. Um... The Lions beat the Vikings 29 to 27. The Lions actually led the game 20 to 6 at halftime. And then the Vikings came back. I swear to you, I 
I almost jokingly wonder, like, was Jared Goff trying to not win this game? He had a two turnovers in the second half, a fumble and interception. The fumble is hard to really blame on Jared Goff because it was fourth down and he hit as he threw. And if you didn't get it, it would have been a turnover on downs anyway. So that's that's a hard one to hold against him. And they were going for it deep in their own territory. And actually, it kind of worked out. They went for it deep in their own territory. Jared Goff fumbles. The Vikings got a touchdown, which gave them the lead. But what it did was keep time on the clock. So the Lions got the ball with a minute 50 left and time to put together a game-winning drive. And that's what happened. The Lions got the ball down 27 to 23. Again, minute 50 left on their own 25-yard line, first and 10. And Jared Goff put together a 75-yard game-winning drive to win 29-27. And what happened was on fourth and two, from the 11-yard line, Jared Goff threw a touchdown pass to Amon Ross St. Brown. It was beautiful. And I, I don't, first of all, I don't understand. How does Minnesota give up a touchdown in that scenario? I don't understand. They were playing such soft coverage, like catch-catch coverage, and I, I, like so much cushion. I don't understand. I, I'm watching, like the safety woods. I'm like, what are you doing, bro? Like, why, how are you allowing a defender to get 11 yards into the end zone, turn around before you're even near him. Uh, that Terrible coverage there. But uh, Jared Goff was a hero. I am so, so happy for Jared Goff. Watching him hug Dan Campbell, like, oh, man. Like, the Lions have been so close to winning multiple times. Do not forget the Lions led Green Bay 14 to nothing at halftime in that game. Like, the Lions, was it 14 to nothing? I think it was 14. I rem- All I remember is the Lions were leading Green Bay at halftime in that game when they played Green Bay earlier this year. I mean, the Lions have had so many heartbreaking losses. So for them to give a heartbreaking loss to Minnesota is awesome. And Jared Goff, you got to feel for the guy. He had three touchdowns in this game. And I would imagine, other than making millions of dollars, which, hey, great for Jared Goff. Other than that little simple fact, uh, I would imagine Jared Goff's life has been really brutal ever since he got traded to Detroit. He got, he was in LA dating a supermodel, making millions of dollars, winning, you know, going to the playoffs. And, and that, then he got traded to Detroit, which no offense to Michigan, but come on, Detroit or LA. Most people would say, I, I probably would actually say Detroit cause it's cheaper. And I, I like the, I don't like LA, but um, <laughs> I, I, I hope, I hope I, I hope that's believable that I, I would pick Detroit. Um, but Jared Goff got traded to the Lions, a horrible franchise, and lost a ton of games and had a bunch of turnovers. It wasn't going well. So this has to feel like the first good thing that's happened to Jared Goff and the first positive thing that's happened in his life since he got traded to Detroit. So good for Jared Goff. Uh, now, the Vikings, number one, how do you give up that touchdown? I, I can't get over that. Like how fourth and two on the 11-yard line, four seconds left. And Minnesota gave up a touchdown. It was just a, it was like a literally, it was a hitch route. Come on. How? I don't understand that. Now, number two, uh, the, the Vikings are five and seven. And people were mad at me last week when I declared the Vikings season over after losing to the 49ers. I mean, I basically declared their season over. And uh, hear me now. Like, do people understand what's going on in Minnesota? It's not good. The Vikings are not making the playoffs. And I I hate to give you bad news, but if that's my job, so be it. The Kirk Cousins era has been a failure. And it's not all Kirk Cousins' fault. I think 
Mike Zimmer's going down and Kirk has been playing very well and doing a lot of good stuff. But let's be clear about something. When Minnesota brought in Kirk Cousins to be their starting quarterback, gave him a ton of money guaranteed, the expectation was, hey, finally, Minnesota has a stable quarterback. It's all they've been missing. And now Minnesota can make not only a playoff run, but a Super Bowl run, potentially. Minnesota's been nowhere near that in the years Kirk Cousins has been the Minnesota Vikings starting quarterback. Whether that's Kirk's fault or not, you can decide that. I don't really care about that debate. My point, though, is, let's be clear, it's been a failure. It didn't work. They're, right now, all Vikings fans are hoping for is, maybe we can make the playoffs. If you're aiming for maybe making the playoffs, you're not in good shape. You're five and seven, and it's it's bad. And, and Vikings fans, I feel like, are not owning the reality of what's gone down this year. And they're they're making excuses. They're talking about all this good stuff. Don't live in delusion anymore. The Vikings are are not in good shape, and the coach is getting fired. Kirk, I love him, and, and maybe what Kirk Cousins needs is a new, young, up and coming offensive head coach who can. Stop trying to play great defense and run the ball. He's like, let's just throw the ball all over the yard. I'd love to see an offense where Kirk Cousins is really allowed freedom to throw the ball a ton every game. Uh, but whether that's Kirk's fault or not, the Kirk Cousins era, him going there and the expectations have not been met. Number two, let's talk about Tua. Oh, yeah. The Dolphins beat the Giants 20-9. to Miami is now 6-7. and They started the year 1-7, and by the way. The Dolphins have won five games in a row. It's beautiful. Uh, by the way, the next two games for them, they have a bye week coming up, and then uh, they play the Jets and then the Saints. So in three weeks, Miami could be 8-7, and seven, a winning record, after a 1-7 start. I don't know that they're going to— I think they play like the Patriots and Buffalo to end the year, something like that. It's not pretty at the end of the year. Either way, though, it's been an amazing recovery from 1-7. For the Miami Dolphins. And the story is their second year quarterback, Tua Tungavaloa, in this game against New York, he was 30 for 41 passing, 244 yards, two touchdowns. I saw some Giants players talking trash after the game at Tua. Uh, what? what? Did, did we watch the same game? Like, I know you, they played in the game. I don't understand what's happening there. Uh, Tua played great. He's getting better and better, looking more and more comfortable. He had a couple back shoulder fades to Devontae Parker that were like, Chef's kiss, beautiful, awesome, awesome stuff. He had a sweet touchdown pass on third and goal where, you know, they play action fake. He rolls out left because he rolls out left because he's left-handed. It's a little bit different. Uh, and he's wait, very patient, waiting, waiting. Finally, he throws out wide for a touchdown on third and goal. Beautiful playoff play action. Uh, every week I've been watching Tua get a little bit better and a little bit better. And each week he looks more like Drew Brees. I mean, let's be real. He's now throwing – He's he started small. I think he, he even gave some kind of quote roughly like you got to learn how to not lose a game before you can learn how to win a game. And I feel like we're seeing Tua experiment a little more downfield every week and go from taking what the defense gives him to now we're seeing back shoulder fades. Pretty cool. And he's throwing the ball farther downfield. And I I just think it's not getting any respect what's going on with Tua. And I fear that Miami is simply just going to allow Tua to do well the rest of the year and then trade him away. Like, they're, everything Tua's doing is just to raise his trade value for them to get Deshaun Watson. But um, 
I, I think Tua looks awesome. And if Tua does end up getting moved after this year, I hope his confidence stays high because he really has. You can see the guy growing and, and getting more confident, confident and building off of every performance. And I just I love what Tua has been doing recently. He had another great performance against the Giants. And I'm telling you, he's getting a little better every week. I'm not crazy. I know I love Tua. I know I live in Hawaii. I know I wear Hawaiian shirts almost every episode. I get it, but I'm not being crazy here. Like, Tua really is legitimately looking better every game. Also, uh, Dolphins rookie receiver Jalen Waddell had nine catches for 90 yards against the Giants. As I speak right now, and that this could change after Monday Night Football, I don't think so. I don't think Stephon Diggs is going to get, like, 20 catches. But right now, Jalen Waddell is tied for the second most catches in the NFL. Cooper Cup has 100 catches, and then you got Keenan Allen, Tyreek Hill, and Jalen Waddell. They all have 86 catches this year. That's good company to have. And uh, Jalen Waddell is getting better and better as well. And I I would love to see Miami keep their young core together. If they can get an offensive lineman or two, build their offensive line, maybe draft another weapon in the second or third round in the draft. Um, I, I just really am excited about Miami, man. They really are building something. Tua looks better. And I just, I, I would love to see this progression continue. In Miami, Tua looks good. Jalen Waddell looks good. They got a couple of good draft picks. Javon Holland is awesome. And uh, I'm excited about what they are building slowly in Miami. And remember, Brian Flores is on the hot seat. I hope he saved his job. They're six and seven now. They won five in a row. They're, they went from one and seven to six and seven. And what we're seeing now with Miami is they're looking really a lot like the team I thought they would be all year. And it took them a while, a lot longer to get where I thought they would be. But right now they're playing very good football. They look well coached. They're playing good football and I just hope we can allow this to continue and develop in Miami. Number three, Washington beat the Raiders 17-15. to Washington has won four games in a row. Taylor Heineke was 20 for 30 passing, at two touchdowns, one interception. Uh, but Washington is on fire right now. And I think it's, it's an under-reported story in the NFL. Like, Washington's playing great football. And here's what's very cool and, and what I want to focus on. Washington has a massive opportunity right now at the end of the year. If they have five games left, all five of the remaining games for Washington are NFC East divisional games. They play the Cowboys twice, the Eagles twice, and the Giants. And that's a rare thing to have five division games all in a row at the end of the year. But what it means is that Washington truly does control their own fate. They have control of their destiny. If they can win a bunch of games and dominate their division. Washington legitimately has a shot to win their division and go to the playoffs. And I don't know that that's going to happen, but it sure is a cool story. And I, I just want to let you know right now, as we stand, Washington could win their division. Still the Cowboys are awesome. We, we everyone's focusing on how sexy and fun the Cowboys are, but Washington runs the ball. Well, they play really Concern is the wrong word. Like they play, they control the ball. They wait till the play clock is really low before they snap the ball. They dominate time of possession. Taylor Heineke doesn't make a lot of mistakes. I mean, I, I think it's very possible Washington still wins this division. And uh, keep your eye on what happens because they're, they're well coached. They play good defense. And I just, it's, it's a developing story. Can Washington challenge Dallas and win that division? I don't know, but five division games in a row at the end of the year is unheard of and very interesting to me. And I, I want to see if Washington can take control and get themselves into the playoffs. Number four, the Rams beat the Jaguars 37 to seven. It felt like this was the Rams getting back on track 
Uh, the Rams had lost three games in a row going into this game. Matthew Stafford was amazing here. Uh, Sony Michelle, a former Patriots running back, they traded for him in the offseason. Off he had 24 carries for 121 yards and a touchdown here. Cooper Cup, eight catches, 129 yards, and another touchdown. Odell Beckham Jr. had a touchdown as well. Now, here's what's massive coming up for the Rams. They play next week on the road at Arizona. And uh, that's going to be the Rams are 8-4. and four, The Cardinals are 10-2. and two. And the Rams, if they want to, remember, they're, they're all in. They're going to go for a Super Bowl. I, I'd like to see that happen. I'm not rooting against the Rams, but they... I, they got a big game coming up coming up this next week against Arizona on the road. And uh, I'm curious, man. I, I feel like this was progress for the Rams. They had a bad couple weeks or a lot of turnovers and Stafford was playing badly. So uh, this was a good tune-up game for the Rams before going into Arizona next week. Number five, the Chargers beat the Bengals 41-22. And this is a fun game. It was Joe Burrow against Justin Herbert. I wish it had been closer. I would have liked to see like a crazy ending where the final play mattered or something. But in the end, it was still a fun game. Uh, you know, we got the Chargers were up to start 24 to 6. And then Cincinnati came charging back. They made it 24 to 22 in the third quarter. And then uh, since he kind of fell apart and lost 41 to 22 after that, they didn't score after that point. Honestly, what I would love to see is a rematch of LA and Cincinnati in the playoffs. I think it'd be awesome. I really, they're both seven and five. They are, it's two quarterbacks that I like a lot. And I thought Justin Herbert got away with a couple risky throws in this game. You know, Mike Williams made a crazy catch. Jalen uh, Guyton had a crazy catch in the end zone. The Bengals also didn't play great. And I think on another Sunday, this would have been a very different game and, and maybe LA still wins, but it would have been closer and more interesting and more fun. And, as a football fan, and I, I remember, I don't have a favorite team. I don't really care who you, who wins every week. I just want interesting, fun, entertaining football games. And as somebody who wants that stuff, I would love to see a rematch of LA and Cincinnati because I think on another Sunday, it'd be really good to see what they could do and the adjustments that would be made. And um, I, I want to see LA and Cincinnati play each other in the playoffs. I think it'd be fantastic. You know, Joe Burrow had three turnovers, only one really bad one. Uh, he had a fumble where he got hit from behind. He threw an interception in the end zone. That's a really bad one. I, I, the fumble was rough. It's just like your your left tackle kind of let you down. And then there was one where I felt terrible for Joe Burrow. And Joe Burrow threw a great ball to Jamar Chase. Should have been a touchdown. Uh, Jamar Chase dropped it. Then it got tipped up and intercepted. So it went from Joe Burrow makes a great throw that should be a touchdown to picked off somehow. And it's just really unfortunate. Uh, and then Justin Herbert, man, was throwing the ball all over the field. I mean, he was just... I think one thing's very clear. He's the most talented quarterback from the 2020 NFL draft class. Also, Joe Mixon fumbled. LA took that for a long touchdown. Again, as a football fan, I think a rematch between LA and Cincinnati would be fantastic. And I want to see that happen down the road. Number six, the Colts won. Uh, they beat the Houston Tech. I, I said Colts, like, ah, I'm going to say more. And then I, I'll have it. The Colts won. Uh, they, they beat Houston 31 to nothing. So the Colts are now seven and six. Uh, their playoff hopes stay alive. And uh, I'm very curious because coming up, they got a bye week. And I, I want to ask you, what does hard knocks look like with a bye week? I have no idea. Uh, but the, with the playoff hopes alive for Indianapolis, what's going to be most important is that coming up, they play uh, the next two games after their bye week. They play the Patriots and then at Arizona. 
The Patriots are fantastic. Arizona's really good. They're 10 and 2. And the Colts are now 7 and 6. It feels like the Colts need to probably win out uh, if they want to make the playoffs. If they go 11 and 6, they're in a lot better shape than if they go 10 and 7. Or 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 worse, who knows. So Big game's coming up for the Colts, but right now they're in a good spot and they keep their playoff hopes alive by dominating Houston. Number seven, the final one, the Steelers beat the Ravens 20-19. to It was a fun game. It was a classic AFC North battle, one of those games where you're like, oh, it's, I, I knew this game would be good and fun. It always is between the Steelers and the Ravens. And the game really came down to a two-point conversion where the Ravens got a touchdown with 12 seconds left. They went for two. They didn't get it, and they lost. And I think a lot of people are going to focus on how that was a weird decision. Why did you do that? You could have just kicked the extra point and gone to overtime or whatever. Uh, I thought it made a lot of sense for the Ravens to go for it. Remember, they had a bunch of corners hurt, and they were, you know, and that's what Jim Harbaugh said everything too. Was like we were down to like we had no corners left, and they wanted to end it there, one way or another. Hopefully, win. They wanted to win, obviously, but ending it there rather than extending the game and allowing injuries to play a, a larger factor in the, the rest of the game. I actually thought like, man, the Ravens made a great play call. There was a bit of a miscommunication between Mark Andrews and Lamar Jackson, but like they had the right play call dialed up. They missed the throw. It should have been a, a two point conversion. That was good. They should have won that game. Um, also, Lamar got picked off in the end zone. Like they missed a couple opportunities, but like, I, I don't think the reason why the Ravens lost was because of the decision to go for two. I mean, I guess you could say it technically is what happened, but I think given the situation, that was the right call to do that in that moment. Pittsburgh is a weird team, though. They are, they're so inconsistent, and the lesson might be that just they're way better with TJ Watt in their lineup. Uh, they sacked Lamar Jackson seven times. He had three and a half sacks himself, and I just think that, I mean, Pittsburgh's a lot, has a shot, and I, I think they're still in the playoff mix. We could get three playoff teams from the AFC North in theory between Cincinnati, Baltimore, and Pittsburgh. And that would be wild and fun. I, I'm hoping that one of them doesn't make it in because I want the Colts to make it in. But keep your eye on that. I mean, things are developing for Pittsburgh. Big Ben's trying to make his final run a good one. And uh, I don't know. I also I want to give a shout out to Deontay Johnson. Deontay Johnson had another good day in this game against Baltimore. He had eight catches for 105 yards and two touchdowns. And I just think that nationally, no one's talking about Deontay Johnson. He's very underappreciated. And I've been watching this guy. Like, every week he's doing good stuff. And uh, everyone focuses on, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster's injured now. But the focus is, oh, they lost Juju, and they don't have a top receiver and this and that. And, hey, Deontay Johnson is killing it. Let's give some guy this guy some respect because he's playing fantastic uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. All right, guys. Uh, that's all I have. I love you. I appreciate you. I will see you very soon like and hopefully I'll, I'll be recording another episode in like seven hours i gotta watch monday night football uh and then i, I gotta finish the formula one race and then do ask zach and that'll be the next episode so the next episode should be very very quick turnaround i love you i appreciate you but um bum bam we are done